the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a great show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we'll be featuring a rebroadcast with Michal Klein. We're talking about nigun, Jewish melody. What is the anatomy of Jewish song? Really great stuff. The portion of the week which will be discussed in the second half hour of the show is Bahalosacha, which can be found in the book of Numbers, chapter 9 and Following, we've got beautiful music all out. Unbelievable, eclectic assortment of Jewish music. A great story all the way at the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Israel Air Force jets bombed the Damascus airport where Iranian cargo planes loaded with missiles were landing. Security forces arrested two Arabs illegally living in Tel Aviv who were planning a terrorist attack. Arabs threw rocks at worshippers at the Western Wall during Shavuos. The rioters locked themselves in the mosque when police came to stop them. Firebombs were thrown at buildings in the Malazetim neighborhood of Jerusalem. There were no injuries and little property damage. And this is the most concerning. A Thai worker, that's a worker from Thailand, was shot and injured near the Gaza border from Hamas fire. Israeli Ambassador Gilad Erdan was elected vice president of the UN General Assembly. Never happened before. Erdogan will be acting as chairman on General Assembly meetings at the U.N. next year. An Iranian engineer involved with advanced aerospace technology was found dead in his home, the victim of poisoning. Israel has not yet been blamed. Uh, and uh, incidences of anti-Semitism around the world, a group of men violently assaulted a Jewish man while he was putting up campaign posters for his wife, who was running for a legislative seat in Strasbourg, France. 
Police are looking for an African-American man who threatened worshipers at a Las Vegas temple. Swastikas, white power, and the N-word were spray-painted with white paint for a second time at a train station in suburban Maryland. In a recent poll, Tel Aviv was ranked the sixth most expensive state in the world, most expensive city in the world. Jerusalem came in 15th. Hong Kong and New York City were number one and two, respectively. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the -the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Michael Klein, who is an ethnomusicologist, and we're going to be talking about nigun, which is one of those, it's become a key, key, key word, you know, buzzword people are thinking. How are you today, Michal? Good, how are you doing? Good, thank God. Okay, so how does one become an ethnomusicologist? How does one become an ethnomusicologist? Yeah, I, maybe I want to be one. <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> basically, I, uh, I went to UCLA. Well, let's backtrack. So I went to Ithaca College uh, for music composition. Um. And then I say around my senior year, I really got interested in uh, Chabad Hasidic music, uh, Nagunim. And uh, what ended up happening is I just started researching and getting interested. And, and I've always sort of had an interest in academic sort of stuff and researching and questioning and probing. And um, so then that was sort of the beginning of my interest in Nagunim. And then a few years later, you know, during that time I went to yeshiva and whatnot and, you know, met my wife, got married, and then um, I got into UCLA for music composition, and I saw that UCLA has a really big history of ethnomusicology. You know, they're actually one of the first in the, uh, in the nation, uh, they're one of the biggest, first, I'm sure one of the biggest programs, one of the earliest programs, like when you look at the history of ethnomusicology in America, uh, UCLA is kind of like up there with them. Uh, and so then I took some courses and I got really interested and I learned, um, all about it and I took what I learned and I applied it towards the research that I did on Chabad music. Oh, interesting. Fascinating. So now when I'm thinking ethno music, ethnic music, so I'm thinking Latino, African, maybe gypsy music, you know, the backwaters of Europe, Jewish music doesn't seem to to just stand out as being something that one would actually study. So, what what is it like at, at UCLA in studying about Jewish ethnic music, Michal? 
Sure. Well, um, you know, so ethnomusicology, all really ethnomusic, you know, musicology is the study of music in, um, in like, culture and in history. So the funny thing is, <laughs> sorry, in ethnomusicology, there's actually been kind of a conversation about, okay, so is it non-Western music? Is it, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, historically, um, Jews and Judaism has been really kind of non-Western, even though we were living in the Western world, because we were always sort of like the other in whatever post-Western culture we were in. You know what I mean? Um, and oftentimes, like, you know, way in like the late 19th century, early 20th century, especially with Yiddish film, there's this almost like exoticization or Orientalism, I guess you would say, of, um, of Jewish culture. You know, I'm thinking about old black and white films like the Dybbuk or the Golem, um, films where you had a lot of magic and Kabbalah and, you know, this kind of like, oh, what is it? We don't really know. And, you know, Shalom Aleichem, the author, really kind of contributed to that of, like, Yiddish film and Yiddish theater, you know, Fiddler on the Roof. He's, that's his, like, most famous uh, thing that he's known for. Um, but basically, um, I would say that, you know, for us as Jews, we don't really see Jewish music as being, you know, quote-unquote ethnic or ethno music, but um, for the wider audience, I mean, in America, you know, um, not many people know about Nagurim, or what they know is this, like, huge caricature of what Hasidism is and Hasidic music is, um, but in terms of my personal experience studying Jewish music at UCLA, it's actually very good, because when I started there, um, it was the same time that uh, a professor named Mark Kligman, who is one of the foremost Jewish research music researchers in the country, um, he had just um, taken on the newly formed chair, the Mickey Katz Chair in Jewish Music, which was the first of its kind at UCLA. It was a, it's a fu fully funded uh, chair um, position <coughs> to just spearhead Jewish music, uh, research Jewish music um, events, things like that. And since he's been there, you know, now they have, like, the Lowell Milken Fund for American Jewish Music. So UCLA, really, since I've been there, and even afterwards, is really poised to be a beacon and a hub of Jewish music in academia, at least, in terms of research and, um, um, you know, just having records of Jewish music and whatnot. That's, that's fascinating. The Mickey Katz chair of, of Jewish music, I'm immediately thinking of how much is that pickle in the window and the, the gestray of the Vilda Kachka. That's, that's so great. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and it's funny because, you know, so with the Mickey Katz chair, because it was specifically the Mickey Katz chair, you know, it's interesting. So uh, Mickey Katz's son, Joel Gray, you know, the famous, mm -hmm. you know, Mickey Katz is famous. The son of Joel Gray is also famous for shows like Cabaret and whatnot. So Joel Gray had a vested interest in the program. I never met him, but I know that, for instance, uh, I was in the Klezmer Music Ensemble. I headed the Klezmer Music Ensemble for a few years, and he saw performances that we did um, on recorded video, and he thought that they were great. So that was pretty cool. But, yeah, I mean, we did a few Mickey Katz songs um, in tribute to Mickey Katz because it was the Mickey Katz chair. You know what I mean? Okay. Just, just as a side, do you have a favorite Mickey Cat song? I play Mickey Cat's on the station, on the show all the time. But I do have a favorite, favorite um, Mickey Cat show. I mean, I think the classic, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know that much of his music, but of course the classic, you know, Dove is, Dove and Crockett. Uh -huh. I mean, that one's That's cool. Funny. Mine actually, his favorite is Where Are My Pants? 
which is a great song. It's a, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a parody of, um, I don't even remember that. It's a Disney song. Da, da, dee, dee, da, 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 dee, da, 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 dee, dee, dee. I don't remember what the, what the original was, but it's very, very I don't funny. remember either. So, but anyway, so, um, <laughs> the end. The, the the punchline is I lost my pants in Las Vegas, so that was the uh, the, the pun at, <laughs> the pun at the pun at the end of the thing. That's great. Our guest today is uh, Michael Klein. We're talking about Jewish ethnomusicology. Okay, so the Jewish Hour came online about twenty six years ago, and uh, I at that time had one CD. And so I reached out and went on went online and went all over the place. Like, where am I going to get music for? I want to play music, and you can't just the first show. I actually played three songs from one CD because I only had one CD. The internet, YouTube's not around yet, and I reached out to Velvel Pasternak. Do you? I don't know if you know the name. Uh, and of course, I know Velvel Pasternak was. Yeah, that's it. Of course, Velvel Pasternak was the like the. Jewish musicologist. He knew more about Jewish music than probably anybody alive in the 20th century. Absolutely. He was... Absolutely. Uh, he that's, was not, that's not contested. Yeah, he was probably responsible for popularizing and making Jewish music what it is today. It's Velvet Pasternak. He actually, I reached out to him. I uh, called him on the phone. He said, yeah, okay. I'll, I'm trying to remember the name of the label that he was working with at that time in Baltimore. And uh, I called him up and I said, I need some CDs and could you help me out? He said, yeah, okay, I'll send you some some stuff I'd like you to promote. He sent me a box, without exaggeration, of over 100 CDs of various Jewish Jewish uh, titles of different genres of all, all over the place. So I had him on my show and I asked him the question, what's Jewish music? And his response was, whatever Jewish Jews are making at the time. Now, let me let me qualify that answer and see what I said. We played a song. I don't know if you heard the song I just played. I just played a song that just, just came out. It's by It was by Mordecai Shapiro called Abba. And the, the, the music very sounds like he borrowed it from Stevie Wonder, like from Very Superstitious. Huh. And when we get done, I'll be playing music by Gioria Feedman, and we'll be playing Sammy's Freilich, which is probably about 100 years old. Then there's another song at the end, well, I'm playing Ellie Beer doing a song called Elokai Ekra, which sounds like it could have been played at the uh, at a um, the Pro- was it not not Providence? What's the other city in, in Rhode Island? The the folk festival there. It's like folk music. So Jewish music seems to take on um, the the flavor of whatever is being played by the locals, and absolutely. And therefore, we have all these various different genres, like Moroccan music, you know, Joe Amar and all these people, type of people. But what's different about a niggin? A niggin's not a Jewish song. What's a niggin? So it's interesting to say a niggin is not a Jewish song, because I think that I actually, you know, if somebody were to just kind of like drop a pin in this conversation and hear that phrase, a niggin is not a Jewish song... They wouldn't get what you're saying. You know what I mean? But given all of the titles you just mentioned, Mordecai Shapiro and all these others, um, I totally agree with you that a niggin is not a Jewish song. You know, a Jewish song, I would say, uh, nowadays is like, you know, the Jewish pop music. But a niggin is completely different because, you know, music like Avraham Fried and Mordecai Ben David, who I love, you know, I really love, you know, I, I love the classics, and there's also some new people that I really love, like 
I don't know if you ever played Miss in Black. I mean, sure. that's, that's rap. Sick, but I love this. We I played him last Nissan week. Black. As a matter, we played him last week. As a matter of fact, yes, he came out with. I a love Miss in Black. I think Miss in Black music is some of the best Jewish music today. Quite honestly, um, just in terms of the quality of it and the lyrical content. But what separates a niggin, I feel, is it's a certain cultural context. You know, I said this. Um, they recently put out a um, Chabad.org article um, where I was interviewed, and they, they, something they quoted from me that I thought was really, you know, I'm really happy they did was that <coughs> Nagunim was by Hasidim and by and by Rebbeim for Hasidim. So it was like by Hasidim for Hasidim, but like add on the Rebbeim, like by Hasidim and Rebbe's for Hasidim. So it was Nagunim are Hasidic. In their, you know, in their origin, um, in their real origin, actually, the earliest origins was taken. You know, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the, the, the Hasidic movement, um, he was deeply inspired by the songs of the surrounding, you know, folk shepherds. You know, the the, the flute songs and the vocal folk songs of the shepherds, the non-Jewish shepherds, whether it was in Ukrainian shepherds or Valachian shepherds. And you know, what's interesting is you might say. You have something. You have someone like the Baal Shem Tov, who is a tremendous tzaddik. Um, what's he doing, cucking in this non, you know, this music that's of non-Jewish origin? Um, and now he's taking it. And he's making it some of the most Jewish music you can imagine. And the answer is, is this idea that actually um, was taken from a researcher named Ellen Koskoff. She was actually I recently did a, uh, a, a lecture, kind of co-lecture with her. She was the first. She was the first ethnomusicologist to write a major work, a major ethnography on the music of Lubavitcher uh, Hasidim, and it's called Music of Lubavitcher Life. And she talks about this idea called musical tikkun. You know, we know tikkun the idea, you know, tikkun olam, or the idea of tikkun that there's, you know, you know, the physical world is this like darkness, and in the darkness of the physical world, there are these sparks of kedusha, these sparks of holiness. And it's our job through doing mitzvahs and learning Torah and, you know, engaging in the physical world uh, to, you know, to take those sparks and purify them and elevate the sparks. You know, so, and that's why Judaism is a very physical religion as opposed to some other religious philosophies where you might, you know, retreat into the mountains and, you know, look at your belly button for six years and breathe, you know, mountain air and do, I don't know, you know, or shun the physicality. We embrace the physicality. Um, not on a purely physical basis, but as to what it could do for us. And now, I know that you might be wondering, what does this have to do with Nagunim and music, but it's very important, because um, Nagunim were a product of musical tikkun, of taking these um, songs of shepherds. And again, let me give a big, big, big parenthesis to this that's very important, is that it was always understood that not every, you know, Yonkel, Barrel, and Schmerl could do this. Not every person could take a niggin, uh, I mean, could take a folk song and turn it into a niggin. Only a tzaddik, only somebody who had um, Ruach Kodesh who could perceive in that song that there was a spark. They say that that spark, actually, that was in the folk songs were sparks that were a Gilgul of the songs from the Beis HaMikdash. That's the thing I heard. I don't remember where I heard it. Is- I can't quote it, but... It's- Okay, this very sounds, interesting idea. That it is an idea. It's an what? interesting. It's an interesting idea to think that people would have a connection with uh, melodies that would have been. I guess you would call them at that time liturgical because there wasn't any liturgy. It was just music in the temple. But going back more than two thousand years, 
Would you would you any clue how well, that would work? Well, well, so here's so yeah, so here's how I understand it because you know I am a you know I I'm not going to say that in the times of the base Mikdash they were doing you know you know I don't think that they were doing that like you know like although you never know you never know but go ahead I'm sorry. Sorry, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a really good, like a Mel Brooks skit or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, no, the way I understand it is everything has a body and a soul, you know? And so it may not necessarily be the body of the song, which is the music of the song, but there is a soul of the song that we apprehend with the musical notes and the rhythms and the instruments and whatnot. And yet that's not what the soul is, meaning... You can't say, oh, the soul is in, that, the eighth note, that's the soul, or, you know, that, that's the soul. You, you don't say that, but the soul is what's giving it life, in the sense, like, you know, when you look at yourself, you look at your hand, oh, my, my hand, that's my soul. No, but your, your hand is able to move, and you're able to exist because your soul is animating your body, right? So, in the same way that it might not be that that folk song is, maybe it had a vague, vague, vague shadow of a resemblance, to the music in the bass of Mikdash, but even if it didn't, that doesn't bother me, because the way I understand it is that the soul of that folk song, the feeling and the highest in that song, is the same soul or a spark, a chip off the old block from the same soul of the songs that were performed in the bass of Mikdash. That's the way I understand it. Yeah, that's very interesting. Let me just interrupt. I'm going to take in, our guest today again is uh, Michal Klein. Is it Rabbi Michal Klein, Dr. Michal Klein? What are you giving uh, you a title? Not rabbi yet. Not rabbi yet. I'm, I'm working on it. Okay, good. Um, doctor. Arab. Yeah, I mean, I have, my, I have my PhD, but I'm not a, I'm not a rabbi yet. Hopefully okay. soon. An Arab, an Arab Rav. Okay, fine, good. But um, <laughs> Arab Rav. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take an, I'm gonna take an example. Okay, we opened up with the song Nyet Nyet Yekova, which was done in a modern way. It has modern orchestration, and it was sung by a French uh, singer who did, made, worked on the arrangement. The song Nyet Nyet Yekovo was da 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 was um, the words mean uh, God is one, His name is one. Besides Him, there is none. As you translate it into English and make it rhymes. To my understanding, that was a Russian bar song. Yep. And and to take it even further than that, if you want to take it back further than that, about 15 years ago or so, there was a person on YouTube who did something called the Pachelbel rant, and he showed that Pachelbel's inflation, you know, da 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 bum bum, that that chord progression appears throughout. The uh, popular music going all he gives he plays examples of uh, the Beatles and Aerosmith and uh, other people like this. So my daughter, who was learning piano at the time, using learning music theory, so she started playing around with that chord progression and she put it into D minor, and what she got was da 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 bum 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 bum. Okay, so now let's talk about the turning all of that. Into a nigun. How would how does such a thing like that happen, Michal? Meaning, how is how, how do we is, get from uh, Pachelbel to a Russian drinking song to besides God there is none? Okay, well, you know the connection between um, Pachelbel's canon and the Russian drinking song. Um, I honestly I can't say that. I mean, I'm sure that one could do a thorough study on it and say, yes, that is, you know, that is what it is, you know, that it is from Pachelbel's canon, but, you know, honestly, we, we don't know, you know, it sounds very similar, 
it could be maybe some guy somewhere happened to have heard Bakalov's Canon. And he's like, no, Igor, I heard this song, and it's great. Let's sing it at the Russian bar. And then some Lubavitcher was like, oh, wow, that's great. Let's use the word name Yenikovo. Could be. I don't know. But basically, in terms of how the Russian drinking song was taken and turned into a niggin, again, it goes back to this idea of musical tikkun. Because this idea is, you know, um, I don't know if it's from the Zohar or I can, honestly, I, don't, I, I know these like sayings, but I can't exactly quote where they're from. But you probably said before that the higher something is, the lower it falls. Mm-hmm. You know, like the highest brick on the wall will fall the farthest away from the wall. And, you know, I mean, that's a very profound statement. You could use that for a lot of things, like especially, you know, people that are seemingly having difficulties and troubles in their Yiddishkeit, um, that those people are actually the loftiest souls of our generation because... You know, otherwise, why would they be falling away so far? Or like, for instance, Acher, you know, Alicia ben Like, he was this amazing Talmud Chacham. And yet we hear, like, when he became not religious, he did so, you know, with such a, with such a zest and with such a fire that um, it was really, really crazy. So, you know, the fact that you take a Russian drinking song, the normal sensibilities would say, oh, my gosh, you have this thing that's being used for the crudest thing. Russian drinking songs or, you know, military marches and what's what such, you know, such a random assortment of songs. And yet they're being used to express the most intimate and beautiful and holy aspects of Hasidic life. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, it's this idea that the spark is there and the Tzaddik or, you know, a Hasid who perceives it. And then the Hasid brings it to the Tzaddik. And the tzaddik okay's it and says yes, you know that is that's appropriate. Again, it also has the tzaddik's stamp of approval. Um, I mean, I can almost guarantee you that all of the newer nagunim that were brought during the Rebbe's time, you know, Rebbe Nachman Schneerson during his time, um, were none of them became part of the canon without the Rebbe's stamp of approval. And even some of these nagunim today, like I happen to know somebody who is a wonderful Hasid and he's a great Balmanagan, and he wrote a new nigan a few years ago in honor of the Rebbe's birthday. You know, in Chabad, we always take like a, a Pusik from the Rebbe's capital and we put a melody, we put a, either we put an existing nigan to it or we write a new nigan. But, you know, what's interesting is that none of these nagunim Maybe it's because they're new and there hasn't been enough time and maybe 50 years from now they'll be singing it. But none of them have really stuck as being part of the canon as the Nagunim of old times do because the Rebbe is not physically here to put his stamp of approval on it. You know what I mean? Um, so the fact that this Russian drinking song that I think it was during the middle of his time that it was taken on, um, that doesn't surprise me. You know, what's interesting is so the, um, the Rebbe would only... Um, so there, there's two there's two big um, two songs of non-Jewish origin, La Marseille, which was the French national anthem that the Rebbe brought in. You know, and then Napoleon's march that the author Rebbe, Rebbe Schneider Zalman, he brought in. What was interesting is uh, La Marseille. The Rebbe would use it for the um, for the the tefillah and davening of 
Hadars Vahamuna, Hadars Vahamuna, Lachai Hoyla, Mina Bina Bracha, Lachai Hoyla, Mina. What's interesting is I once heard that he would really only encourage it during um, the davening of Yom and Merayim, of like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Which is interesting because, you know, they're the holiest days of the year, and we're using that melody, Dafka, for that tefillah during that time of the year. And I think the reason why is because since it came not from the mind of a chassid, not from the mind of a rabbi, but it came from an outside source, there was a spark there, and since the rabbi, he took it, and he, I guess, converted it, if you want to say that, or he did a musical tikkun, then that could be, um, that's now part of the canon, and it's used on one of the holiest days of the year. So to me, it, again, it's not really a contradiction in terms of how could it be, a Russian drinking song, all these things. It makes sense to me, because this idea of musical tikkun, this idea of the spark, that's in there that, you know, the Sadik brings out. And, um, yeah. Okay, cool. We are, unfortunately, I have a zillion more questions. We're going to have to reserve a time to get you back on again, because, but I am, we are out of time for this segment. We want to thank our guest again. It was Michael Klein, an ethnomusicologist specializing in nigund, the Jewish soulful melodies of the Lubavitcher Hasidim. And, uh, do you have explanations for all 200 and something, uh, Nigunim, have you able to track down the origins? And... Uh, definitely not. Yeah, no, I don't have. A, I would, I'm, I'm waiting for that because there's a lot of Nigunim. Just you know, some of them they are in, they're in the book called Safer Nigunim, the book about these melodies. Yeah. And the previous Rebbe did. And you wouldn't be able to tackle it in one radio session. <laughs> yeah, no, that's we're talking. You could do a whole podcast on that one. So, in a series of podcasts, maybe you'll start a podcast. Everybody's doing podcasts. Hello. Okay, I want to thank you so much, Michal, and uh, wish you uh, all the best. I mean, thank you so much. Have a great job. You too. Take care. We're going to take a, a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. Speaking of Nigun Melody, this is Yoni Z. That's his name. New song, Masibo, which means let's gather together. So let's get together. Let's listen. Hashem, <laughs>
This one up, this is definitely something very unusual. The group is called Svei Brider, which is Yiddish for two brothers. One of them happens to be Jewish. The other one happens to be an African-American. And what they've done is they've taken old Yiddish poetry and composed music to it. And it's actually the black guy who's singing the Yiddish and the Jewish guy's playing the piano. And maybe he's playing the, uh, the, this one's got an accordion, usually it's just a piano, but the song is called Lichtelach, which means the little candles, which is a, uh, a, a figure of speech for hope for better things to come. Let's listen. Thank you. 
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. Up next, this is brand new. This is Barack Grossberg, who is a uh, an Israeli phenom. The song is called Hanis Tarot, which means the hidden things. And generally, the idea is the Hanisteros la Hashem The hidden things belong to God. But if they're there, they could be revealed to us. So let's listen to Barack Grossberg. Oh! 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. The portion of the week, which will be read in the synagogue this week, is the portion of Behalosacha. is found in Chapter 9 of the Book of Numbers and following. There are lots of little vignettes in this week's portion. Um, they seem disjoint. I'm not going to go into why or how it is that they really are one continuum, which is true with every portion, and indeed the entire Bible. But one vignette which is discussed is Moshe was told to make two silver trumpets. The area of the camp, which was described a couple of weeks ago, of the Jews in the desert was huge, it was six miles by six miles, which is about the size of Southfield or Livonia or Warren, one of these uh, bigger uh, townships here in Oakland County, Michigan. That's, a lot, of, that's a, a lot of real estate. So if, for example, they needed to communicate somehow that it's to, time to do something, how do you get the word out? So what Moshe was told was you'll have two chauffeurs, and if they'll blow one chauffeur, not sure, two trumpets, if one of them will blow this way, it'll mean one thing, it'll blow, two of them will blow, it'll mean this thing, and if they blow this type of way, it'll mean another thing. So you had different patterns of describing some of the time to assemble, time to pack up and leave, time to announce a holiday, that kind of, all this type of stuff was there. At the end of this, uh, section about the trumpets, so it suggests that you'll blow them when you go out to war and at the times of your holidays. So we have a general rule that the Bible remains current. These trumpets, I believe they disappeared during the times of Joshua. If somebody knows better, they can contact me right here at rabbifinman.com, send me an email. And let me know, no, 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 they were disappeared at some other time. But I think during Joshua's times, they were put away. We have an ongoing war every single day. It's the war between our inclination to do the right thing and our inclination to do the wrong thing. Especially when we're trying to pray, when we're trying to daven. It says in the Zohar that the time of davening is a time of war. Because everything that you shouldn't be thinking about is thought about during a time of prayer, when you should be focusing on prayer. So what do we have to do with those? It says a person has to like blow the chauffeur, which has different meanings. Like, for example, let's say a person is thinking really a thought that they shouldn't be thinking about. 
the Alter Rebbe advises that what a person should do is just yell at themselves in their mind, stop. Just that. Just replace the thought with the word stop. Because automatically you're focusing on not thinking that and thinking something else. Now that you said the word stop, you can now say, well, what do I need to be thinking about? Well, if you have a prayer book in front of you, you should be looking at the words and focusing on their meanings. But there's another thing also that it could be that whenever a person's out and about and is suddenly uh, besieged with this war against his inclination toward doing the wrong thing, says what breaks it is humility. The person should say, who am I that I should be doing such a thing? I'm standing in the presence of the Almighty. That's a tough one that we have to recognize that just like in the desert, they had the clouds of glory, which were basically shining godliness right at them. They were living it. So we're also living it. We just have to like realize that we're living it. That's the internal internalization of blowing the chauffeur. So that's at the time of war. What about the holiday time? So a person could think, listen, I've been doing this so long and I've been fighting my inclination to do the wrong thing for so long. You know what? I can take it and I can put it on autopilot. It doesn't bother me anymore. That itself is a trick of the Yitzhahara, of the inclination to do wrong. And a person shouldn't give up, even at a time when they're rejoicing. Camp has to be also out of this expression of, I'm in the presence of the Almighty, and I'm going to rejoice in all the good things that happened to me with a series of reverence and honor for the Almighty. We're going to take a quick commercial break and come back for an amazing story. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Tribe, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Hey, Shul Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? If you're listening on RabbiFinman.com, all you have to do is wait for the end of the show and... Go to the homepage and hit the contact link. If you're listening on Odyssey or Spotify or iTunes or iHeartRadio or any other places where one finds podcasts park, well, you can continue listening. Go to RabbiFinman.com. Right on the home page, you'll click on the home the, the contact us link, and you can pose to me any question, query, comment, criticism, etc., whatever else it is that you'd like to do. What else is on Rabbi Finman? You take a look. We've got archived editions of the radio show. We have the uh, ways in which we convince, uh, convey Judaism in an interesting and entertaining way. We also have the very important donations page. Quality radio costs. And it has always cost. We are 28 years doing this. And in the 28 years, I'm not sure if it's one or two times that I made this deal that if we get the month paid off before the end of the month, I don't do the pledge. And that's still there. I think we did it once or twice. We are still working on May. We're almost, we're almost paid off May. 
And now, but we're towards the, we're past the middle of June already. So uh, go to rabbifinman.com, go to the donations page, make it a, make it a, a, a regular thing. You could do it if you have PayPal. It takes 30 seconds to set up, quite literally. And every month you'll make a donation and it'll be a wonderful thing for you and a wonderful thing for us too. Don't want to do a one time, do that, make a one time gift. Also good. Any amount at any time. Don't like internet giving? No problem. Send your donation of any amount to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. The Baal Shem Tov lived in a city called a town, a dwarf, a little hamlet. A, uh, <laughs> I don't even know a village would be too big, of Mezhebuj. It is located many miles east of Gross Point Farms. It's the, his synagogue and his uh, burial place are still there. They're on the, uh, the route, for say, of people who visit the old country. Now, you, I don't know if you can get there now because of the war in Ukraine, per se, because I believe that Mezhebuj is in Ukraine officially, somewhere in the Carpathian Mountains. That helps, right? So, but the Rebbe Rashab, I believe in 1906, went traveling around to various different grave sites, to the Mizrachim Magid, and he went to Annapoli, and he went to, uh, to Mezhebuj, and he went to Hadich, and et cetera, and then to Nezhen, to go pray at the graves of of righteous people. When he came to the synagogue in Mezhebuz, there's still, there's a group of people who dive in there. Now there's nobody, there are no Jews that live in Mezhebuz anymore. They're just the caretakers that take care of it for all the tourists. But the Jewish community has is, is been decimated. It's gone. The synagogue itself was uh, modernized. We'll talk about that. When the uh, Rebbe Rashab came into the synagogue, it was already after davening, and there was an old man sitting there who was known as Reb Tzviyariya the Shamash. He was the caretaker, but he was too old to take care of anything. But because his father was the caretaker and his grandfather was the caretaker for the last 10 years of the Baal Shem Tov's life, and the Baal Shem Tov blessed him, his children, and his grandchildren with long life. And here it is. You're talking about from 1906, from, from 1760 to 1906, was a, f- a grandfather, a father, and a, and a son. Okay, an old son. But still, that's that's quite a blessing. And uh, the shul was in disrepair. It needed repairs. And they were discussing, perhaps what they could do is they could take out, there was a Torah that was called the Miracle Torah of the Baal Shem. Why was it called the Miracle Torah of the Baal Shem? Is because there was a plague in Mezhebuj at some time. And everybody, every house was getting sick. And they came to the Baal Shem Tov and they said, pray for us. And he said, no, you got to do this one yourself. You have to do something communal, like uh, everybody should come and, and fast and whatnot. Or you can maybe even write a Torah scroll. So they decided, we're going to write a Torah scroll. And the Baal Shem Tov said, that's great. He, he provided some of the materials and he wanted the scribe, one of his own personal scribes. It's good to have a personal scribe, I guess. Wrote two of the two of the pages. And as soon as this, the writing started, people started getting better already. And that became known as the Baal Shem Tov's Miracle Torah. 
It was taken out only to be read on Hoshana Rabbah, which is the last day of Sukkot, and to be danced with on Simchus Torah. That was the only time it was ever removed from the ark. So it was suggested that they, that Shabbos, they needed to repair the synagogue, and they should take out that synagogue, and then the rich people who weren't giving any money would get an aliyah from it, and they would the, donate money towards the cause. And this old guy was just crying. Such a, it seemed like such a, a desecration. So the Rebbe Rashab, who heard about this, and his plan was to go to the mikveh and to pray at the grave of the, of the Baal Shem Tov, which you can do if, as soon as the war is over there. He asked, how much is it going to cost? He said, well, 300, is for band-aid, 300 rubles is for Band-Aid, and 450 will get us repairs right. So he said, okay, fine, good. So he told his traveling companion, whose name was Binyamin Friedman or Shapiro, I don't remember exactly, tell them that I'm a rich businessman from a certain city and that I will pay the 450 rubles on condition that tomorrow, Monday, there is a minion for the morning prayers and the Baal Shem Tov's Torah is taken out and read on that Torah, and that this businessman get the third aliyah, which is three, 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 time, three people get to read, with a Kohen and a Levi, and that no one should know about it, should be very early in the morning as soon as possible, and that no one should know about this, that this happened until three days after it happened. And uh, that's exactly what happened. So it was agreed, and uh, the Rabbi Rashab did get an aliyah from it. And like I say, I'd have to go look up and see if that Torah scroll is still around. And uh, who knows? Maybe yes. Okay, that's going to do it for the show today. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.